Rich. I'm the lead pastor of our congregation here in Queens, New York City, and wherever you are joining us from, whether YouTube, Facebook, newlife.nyc, it is a gift to have you worship with us on this day. Whether you're worshiping with us from the tri-state area or another part of our country or another part of our world, it is a gift to have you with us. Now, today is Valentine's Day, and we are starting a series on the book of Job because nothing says romance and a Valentine's Day like the book of Job. Uh, we're going to be in a series. Where it's going to actually take us through uh, the season of Lent, which begins this Wednesday on Ash Wednesday. Uh, and this, se- uh, this season is going to help us to wrestle with some of the more challenging realities of our day, like suffering, like pain, like loss, and how do we pay attention to it uh, in the midst of a pandemic that is uh, continuing to impact so many people in our nation and around the world. And so we're going to focus on the main themes of the book of Job uh, over the next few weeks. Now, one of the questions that people have about the book of Job is, is, is how do we approach it? Do we approach it as actual history? Do we approach it as, as wisdom literature? There's long-standing debate among scholars as to how uh, we should approach the book of Job. But however we look at it, uh, Job is part of Holy Scripture and God wants to speak to us uh, through uh, his character as well as through the pages of, of this wonderful book. It's, it's 42 chapters long. We're not going to get to all of that in the next six weeks. And uh, the first few chapters are really what sets the stage. And the last few verses in the book of Job uh, really ties it all up in terms of how we are to uh, approach this theologically. And in the middle, there's a lot of dialogue. So we're going to get to some of that and we'll do it over the next uh, six weeks. Uh, I want you to join me in reading uh, chapter one, the first 12 verses in the book of Job. And so whether you have a Bible that you are in your hand or whether you're watching along on the screen or you have your phone in your hand, uh, follow along with me. This is the reading of God's Word. It says, In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has. 
and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, speak to us now through the power of your Holy Spirit, and wherever we're watching this from, meet us. Give us grace, mercy, and illuminate our minds and our hearts that we would receive every gift you have for us this day. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. To some degree, the story of Job is the story of us all. As we're going to see in a moment, Job goes through a period where he loses everything. He loses his job, he loses his resources, he loses his children all in one day, loses his health. And that level of suffering, as extreme as it is, happens to people around the world. But most of us experience our losses slower than that over the span of a lifetime until we find ourselves at the door of death, leaving everything behind, our relationships, our possessions, our health. We lose our youthfulness. Slowly we lose our hair, at least I do. Uh, No amount of plastic surgery, cosmetics, a good diet, exercise can really stop the process of growing older. We lose our dreams, our dreams of a career, our dreams of a marriage, our dreams of having children. We experience loss in transitions in life. We move from one job to the next. We move out of a neighborhood. We move out of a state. And the relationships and friendships that we once had, we now experience loss. Our children get older and transition out of our homes. And our relationships are a little different. There is a sense of loss in those transitions. And then there are moments when we experience deep Catastrophic laws, unexperienced laws, or unexpected laws. Unexpectedly, a family member dies. A friend or a relative commits suicide. A spouse has an affair. We find ourselves single again after a divorce or breakup. We are diagnosed with cancer, our our company downsizes, and after 25 years of employment with them, you find yourself out of a job. Our child is born severely handicapped. A loyal friend betrays us. We experience infertility. We feel betrayed by the church, by a leader. The list goes on and on and on. We will all face significant losses and big deaths and little deaths throughout the course of our lives. And the question when loss comes our way is often twofold. Whenever pain visits our, our lives, we ask two questions essentially. Why is this happening and where is God? Why is this happening to me and where is God? And I'm not sure I can offer a satisfactory answer to those questions throughout the course of this series. But as a community, we can wrestle with these questions together prayerfully. Holding on to God and holding on to one another. And what we're going to learn throughout this series in the book of Job, and especially in this chapter today, that it is possible and necessary to hold grief and God together. We're going to come back to this. It is possible and necessary to hold grief 
and God together. And that's what we're called to do as we journey through the book of Job. Now, when we pick up in the book of Job and we start to read it, we are immediately presented with two very different scenes. Uh, Sometimes when you watch movies or TV shows, it's often the case that there is an abrupt shift in a scene. One scene might be in someone's home and then an abrupt transition and we find ourselves in the street. Uh, It might start in someone's office and then it shifts into the battlefield. It starts on earth and then it shifts immediately uh, to space. Great writers know how to transition from one scene to the next, creating a sense of angst, creating a sense of curiosity, creating a sense of expectation by suddenly shifting from one scene to the next. This is what happens in the book of Job in the first 12 verses. When, when Job begins, we see it beginning firmly planted in earth in a land called Uz. We learn that Job is a remarkable man, a holy man, an upright man. He fears God. He shuns evil. He's a great husband. He's a wonderful father. He's known as the greatest man in all of the East. His family puts together feasts on a regular basis. You know, if Job was around today, uh, he would have a Super Bowl party last week. He'd invite people over. He'd be feasting. Job was a guy who loved to be around people, loved feasting, loved family, loved to just be around people. Everything seems great in the first few verses in the book of Job. The writer highlights how amazing he is, how wonderful his children are. And then by the end of the scene, we see that there is an abrupt shift. Job is is feasting with his family, drinking and dancing and being merry. And then all of a sudden, we are transitioned to a different realm. We move from the land of Uz to heaven. And very abruptly, very quickly, there is a transition. And it is here where things get a little crazy. First of all, it says, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Now, wait a second. If you're anything like me, when you see that line here, uh, sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, they're talking about really the divine counsel, angels, and Satan came among them. If you're anything like me, you have a lot of questions when you read that. First of all, I'm asking, how did Satan get into this meeting? Was there a breach in security? Did he have a fast pass? For you Disney lovers, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, does, Does Satan have dual citizenship on earth and in heaven? Why is God, a holy God, hanging around the evil Satan? These are questions that I've had for many years, and some of you are probably holding these questions as well. But a close reading of this passage actually shows us that this is not Satan after all as we know him. Someone type oh snap in the chat section. This is not Satan as we know him. This is actually not a, the the name Satan that we come to know in the New Testament. This is not a name. This is actually a title. The word Satan in the book of Job is actually a title, and the title is Hasetan, the Hasetan, the challenger in the book of Job here. In this story, this character is not an evil force, not an evil personality. There's no tempting, there's no deception, there's no corruption. 
In the New Testament, Satan is depicted as a liar. Satan is depicted as a deceiver. He, he wants to tempt us. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But in the book of Job, we don't see that in the opening uh, passages of this text here. What we actually see is rather a divine being, an angel, serving as a kind of cross-examining prosecutor. And this is what's actually happening here. This is not the devil. This is a prosecuting attorney (laughs) of some sort in heaven trying to ask questions of God to challenge what was known theologically around that area to be something that guided everyone's thinking, a theological principle. And we're going to get to this in in, in a few weeks. We're going to unpack what we're getting at here. But at, at the core of what's going on is a challenge to the way things are ordered. The Hasatan comes up and says, Job is worshiping you, God, only because of how blessed he is. At the core of what's happening in the book of Job is the nature of Job's relationship to God. Now, what's interesting is Job's name is not brought up by the Hasatan, by the challenger. God brings up Job's name first. The Hasatan walks in and says, I've been going all around. And then God says, what do you think about my guy, Job? Isn't he great? Isn't he wonderful? And as someone reading the book of Job, because I know how the story goes, I'm thinking, God, why are you bringing up his name? Leave Job out of this. But God seems to be bragging about Job, which is ultimately seems to get Job in trouble. I remember in middle school. I was having a conversation with some friends, and uh, we were around the table in the lunchroom, and, and we're talking about fighting because that's what many middle schoolers talk about, in, at least in Brooklyn where I'm from, and, and, and who can beat up who in the school. And, and, and I wasn't a fighter. I could hold my own, but I wasn't a fighter. But evidently, a friend of mine thought very highly of me in this conversation and goes, Rich, Rich could beat you up. And he points to another guy who I knew I could not beat up. And I'm thinking, brother, leave me out of this. What are you doing? This is not going to end well for me. This is what God is saying. He thinks so highly of Job. He's saying, look at Job. Isn't he wonderful? He fears me. He shuns evil. He is a good guy. And the Hasatan says, yeah, the reason he's a good guy is because you bless him. In short, the discussion that God and the challenger are having is about what's called the retribution principle. And we're going to come back to this in future weeks, but I'm setting the stage for us for the rest of this series. The retribution principle is a common belief that states that the righteous will prosper and the wicked will suffer. The question is, are Job's blessings tied to his goodness? And the Hasatan says, Job only fears you because there's a lot of money in the bank. And so in verse 9, we begin to see it again. He asks the question. He says, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands. The possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all he has, and he will curse you to your face. And God says, Job is not that kind of guy. You can test him. And then abruptly the scene shifts back to the land of Uz. Job is feasting with his family. And in this moment, a messenger comes 
with some terrible news. And one by one, Job starts experiencing traumatic loss. This is tragic. It's at this point where I want to move away from all the retribution principle stuff to empathize with Job in this moment and to pay attention to Job in this moment and to fix our eyes on what Job is doing in this moment. Job suffers one by one. He loses everything near and dear to him. He loses his property, his source of income. His ten children die in one day, and he will go on to lose his health. When I look at Job and the enormity of his suffering, I think about so many in our world who have experienced something similar. I think of a friend who I went to college with, a godly, kind man who got married to the love of his life, and on their honeymoon, as they're on this boat, she falls off the boat and drowns on their honeymoon. I think of a New Life family who over a decade ago discovered that their young adult son had committed suicide. I think about the congregant who would discover secret text messages from their spouse and would discover the affair that's been taking place over many days. I think about the suffering related to this pandemic. I think about just last night receiving the news of a new lifer who lost her mother because of COVID-19. Close to 500,000 people in this nation have died through this pandemic. There's so much suffering in the world. And in our modern culture, we do everything we can to avoid paying attention to it. We do everything we can to distance ourselves from it. And I understand this. At New Life Fellowship, we, we use this tool called the Enneagram to help us understand the, the dark sides of our souls, to help train us into righteousness in Jesus Christ. It's a helpful tool. And I'm a seven on the Enneagram, which means I'm known for pain avoidance. There's something inside of me that uh, disproportionately wants to run from the kind of pain that I know might be creeping towards me. And the truth for many of us is we are often surprised by pain. The strange thing of our modern world is, is we often think that, that we're surprised by it. And, and pain and suffering is something that should be foreign somewhere out there in another land, not over here. And we forget that even Jesus reminded us that in a broken, sinful world, there's going to be pain. He promised us that we will have trouble. And yet it's often the case that we try to distance ourselves from that. And as a result, we're surprised when it knocks on our door. It's one of the promises of Jesus that we often forget on a regular basis. You know, when you go to somebody's house, it's often the case that when you walk in, there's, uh, especially in Christian homes, there, there are promises of God on their wall, a plaque, a frame, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. I haven't yet been to a Christian's house where you walk in and it says the promises of Jesus there. Uh, you will have trouble, right, when you walk into the house. <laughs> you don't really see that in many places. But yet Jesus promises we will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen? I have overcome the world. 
We will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. Job experiences the deepest, darkest day of his life. And he responds in important, in important ways that I want us to pay attention to. This is what I want to, us to hold on to and, and leave you with as we look at this first week in the book of Job. When Job is visited by suffering and pain and loss, what Job does is this. He holds grief and God together. He holds grief and God together. Look what it says. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head. He experiences all the bad news in the world. He tears his robe. He shaves his head. This is an act of lamenting. Job gives himself permission to feel, do you? Job gives himself permission to grieve, do you? This is important because many Christians often do the opposite of what Job does in this passage. You see, when you don't have a theology that gives you permission to deeply feel, to be sad, to feel sorrowful, to lament, our humanity and our spirituality is deeply compromised. Some of us have come from families that don't know how to grieve. Some of us come from churches that don't know how to grieve. Some of us believe that to be sad and sorrowful is actually a sin. Therefore, we do the opposite of what Job does. Instead of tearing our robes, we buy a new outfit. Instead of shaving our heads, we go to the beauty salon. We go to the barber shop. But our inability to be present with the grief that we are holding and experiences leads us to living in a different reality. This reminds me of something that I've witnessed over the past few weeks. There is a show that many of us, millions of people around the world, have become obsessed with in the past month. It's called WandaVision. Uh, WandaVision. Forge Magazine just two days ago, had reported that WandaVision is the most viewed television show in the world. Uh, my father texted me last night said, I'm tired of this show after two episodes. Pray for my father, brothers and sisters. He's a, just pray for him. Anyone who follows me on social media knows how much I love this show with the millions of people around. And it's a strange show. I'm not giving any spoilers. It's a strange show about these two Marvel superheroes. But what the show really is about is trauma. One of the central themes of the story is that, is that Wanda has lost loved ones. But she has the power to create new realities that distance her from that loss. New realities that distance her from that level of pain. New realities that she creates that distance her from the sorrow that is fueling and filling her heart. And in the process of that, her life is severely impacted and the lives of other people are severely impacted. And this is what happens when we don't learn how to lament and carry our grief to God. Our inability to lament also compromises every other aspect of our lives. And our inability to grieve compromises our ability to have true joy inside of us. 
And what often happens is we create these other dimensions, these other realities. We dress it up with Bible verses. We say we're blessed when we're really sorrowful. We say we're okay when we're really not. We create these alternate realities that impact our lives, compromise our humanity, compromise our spirituality, and, 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 and impact the people around us. But our spiritual aliveness is not seen in our ability to suppress our sadness. Our spiritual aliveness is seen in our ability to carry our sadness to God. This is why we must be wise and gentle with people who can't seem to get it together because of their sorrow. There's no universal timeline for suffering and getting over suffering. Which is why when we encounter someone in the church or outside of it who just can't shake the grief and just can't shake the sorrow and the sadness, we do well not to try to uh, encourage them with some fake encouragement, help, helping them live in a different reality. No, we would do well to be present to them, to be gentle with them, to be prayerful with them. This is why we would be, we would be wise to be gentle with ourselves. For those of us experiencing this pandemic there are congregants and people watching you've lost loved ones you've lost people who are near and dear to you and everything inside of you says why don't I can I just move on you're still grieving you're still feeling sorrow how can we be present to that grief and and lift it up to God this is what we see with Job He's fully present to his grief. He allows himself to feel. He allows himself to be sorrowful. But then Job does something else. He holds on to something else that we are called to as well. It's not just holding on to our grief. It's also lifting it up to God. He turns to God. He reaches to God. Look what it says in verse 20. In verse 20 it says that he tears his robe, he shaves his head, and then he fell down to the ground and he worshipped. Job holds grief and God together. And this is important for, critically important for us because when sorrow comes our way, we will inevitably reach out to something to soothe us. We will inevitably reach out to something to make us feel better, to survive the moment. And the invitation is to reach out for the living God. My friend Aaron Stern, he, he, he had preached a sermon on the book of Job. And he, he, was, he, was, he, he mentioned an important phrase when it came to this portion in the story that, that we are to watch what we reach for when we find ourselves in pain. Watch what you reach for when you find yourself in pain. Because we're all reaching for something, but everything we reach for doesn't necessarily bring us the healing that we long for. In this pandemic, what have you been reaching for? Have you been lifting up heart to God? Reaching out to God in the community of God? Or do you find yourself increasingly stuck in addictions? Stuck in all kinds of distraction. I read just yesterday that there was a report out of Stanford University Medicine that highlighted the increase in addiction throughout the course of this pandemic. That there's been an alarming rise in addictions for people 65 years of age and older. And we're reaching for something to try to soothe our pain. Which is why I want to offer a pastoral word for those of you watching. 
We're all reaching for something. For some things, they, they bring healing. For some things, they lead us into greater bondage. And for those of you who have been reaching out to things to soothe the pain, and your addictions have been flaring up and manifesting, I want to offer a pastoral word for you. Most people, when they are caught up in addictions, they're simply trying to survive. And whether it's drugs, or whether it's pornography, or whether it's eating, or whether it's shopping, we are all trying to survive. Which is why whenever I encounter or have a pastoral counseling session with someone who's caught up in some kinds of addictions, my response often to them is this, wow, you've learned how to survive. That's amazing. But this doesn't go far enough. Your addictions can, yes, help you to survive but it's not going to lead you to the kind of freedom that you truly long for. Can we try something else? And to you, I want to invite you to try something else. To lift heart and mind to God. To reach out for God. This is what Job does. He tears his robes. He, he turns, he, he shaves his head, and he cries out to God. You see, whenever pain comes our way, there's a few ways that we respond. We either stuff it, we either try to soothe it ourselves, we either transmit it to other people because through violence, through anger, or we lift it to God and say, Lord, I need to reach out to you and cling to you. Heal me, Lord. Comfort me, Lord. Strengthen me, Lord. When we lament and we do what Job does, our problems don't get magically fixed. But when we lament and do what Job does, our lives get spiritually formed. And that's what God is inviting us into as we approach Lent. No, your problems are not going to get magically fixed. But our lives are called to be spiritually formed in God. And so reach out to Him. I want to encourage you to gather. When we gather on Sundays, what an opportunity in worship. I know we're not in person. I know we're watching from online. But reach out to God. Throughout the course of a given week, when you open up your scriptures, reach out to God. When you spend time in silence and in prayer, that's you reaching out to God. The invitation in your time of grief is not to go elsewhere to try to soothe yourself. The invitation is to reach out to the living God, waiting for this God to comfort you, to intervene on your behalf. This is what Job does. I want to close with this here. I started out by saying that there are two questions that we often carry whenever pain comes our way. Why did this happen? Where is God? These are ancient questions that no satisfactory answer that we can give will, will suffice. It's when we see God face to face that it'll all make sense. Why did this happen? But for that one question, where is God? I think we have some clues in the Bible to help us understand that question. The gospel message is a message that reminds us that the God we worship is not immune to the pain we experience. That the God we worship has taken on pain. The God we worship has taken on sorrow. 
that the God we worship has taken on our sin and has conquered it with love. I cannot tell you why bad things happen. That's for God to answer. But I can say with confidence that God weeps with you and God grieves with you and God is sorrowful with you and that God longs to comfort you, that God longs to heal you. And until the day where Jesus Christ makes everything right, we are invited to reach out to God, knowing that this God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. And so, as we enter this Lenten season this Wednesday, and we look at the suffering that we're all experiencing in one way or another, may we cling to the living God May we allow ourselves to feel and may we open ourselves to a fresh encounter as disorienting as this season may be because God is with us. Let's pray together. I wonder what's the loss that you're experiencing today? What's the grief that you're carrying very easy for our society to just say, move on. We just have to move on. And yet, there's been so much loss and tragedy and suffering and pain. Lord, I pray you would give us grace for this moment to grieve our losses, to enter into close proximity with those who are experiencing the valley of the shadow of death, the dark night of the soul. May New Life Fellowship be a community that gathers around one another in our sorrow and pain. May we be a people who weep with others who weep. And may your Holy Spirit offer healing and comfort in ways that transcend our understanding. Lord, we open ourselves up to you, and may we do like Job in this chapter. May we grieve and cling to God. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. One of the things that Job does in hearing the tragedy of that day is he worships. I want to give us a moment just to worship. To Kate's going to lead us in a song. Of, and wherever you're at, in your living room, in your kitchen, maybe you're working and you're parked in your car before you go back into work or you're about to enter into work, wherever you're at, just stop wherever you're, whatever you're doing and let's worship the living God. Let's lift our voices to him. Let's cling to God in faith. And so let's sing together. Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me yet
change to come Knowing the battles won For you have never failed me yet Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Faithfulness I'm still in your hands This is my confidence You've never failed me yet Never failed me yet
Worship is, uh, doesn't make sense to the rational mind. It's an act of faith to lift up our voices, to cling to God when everything else says God is nowhere to be found. This is what makes worship what it is. It's an act of faith. And so today, may the Holy Spirit fill your hearts to worship when your mind can't understand, when it doesn't make rational sense, when you can't logically explain what's going on. Uh, may our worship to God go up. Our praises to God go up. My, our love for God go up in the middle of our grief. May we cling to the living God. As we close, I want to remind you or, or let you know that to cling to God is not just a private thing. Clinging to God is something we do in community, that we need one another in our support. And in starting March 2nd, we're actually going to have... Uh, something called Grief Share. Uh, it's going to be a meeting for 13 consecutive Tuesdays from 6.30 to 8.30. And uh, for people who have experienced loss and you're grieving and you just need a community of people to walk with who have experienced similarly loss in this moment. And at this moment, we're, we're limiting it to 24 people. We'll see if there's a big response. We'll see what else we can do here. But uh, start. we want to create communities in pockets where people can pray with one another, grieve and weep with one another. Because as the body of Christ, we need one another as we're experiencing pain and disorientation and suffering. And so more information is going to come. Check out our website. And I'm sure you'll be getting an email, but that's going to start in a couple of weeks. As we close our service, I want to let you know there's a couple of ways for you to get connected. At the end of the service, there's a link that says uh, a Sunday service uh, sermon discussion. And so if you want to have a conversation with someone about what I preached on and uh, if there's uh, points of resonance that you just want to share or you have questions, we're going to have a sermon discussion at the end of, of this uh, service here. So feel free to click that link. Uh, and that goes for about 30 minutes. And then there's a prayer room. Uh, if you just need someone to pray with you, our prayer team, to pray for you, to pray with you, uh, we want to do that. And so if you just feel like, I don't know what to do right now, can someone pray for me? Can someone speak words of blessing and healing? That's what I, my soul needs. Feel free to click that link and one of our leaders uh, will connect with you. And lastly, for those of you who are watching and you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, and you may be wondering, where is God? Where is God in all this? God has entered into the human story, taken on our pain, taken on our sorrow, taken on our sin to offer us everlasting life friendship with God, wholeness and healing and peace and joy, even in the midst of deep suffering and pain. And if today you're saying, I want to begin that relationship with God, you can text to this number on the screen there, uh, yes to Jesus. And we would love to follow up with you and help you start on your journey. And so uh, let us help you uh, to enter into this relationship with God. Now, as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And I want to encourage you to be reading through the book of Job as we are in this Lenten season. We have our Ash Wednesday service this Wednesday at 7 p.m. 
And so make sure you join us on that link there that will be online. We'd love to worship with you as we kick off the Lenten season. But let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven. Wherever you're at, just pause and just lift your hands. The Lord sees you. And with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, holding grief and God together. May God meet you. May God comfort you. May God heal you. And may you be a healing presence to the world around you. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the very present name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Grace and peace to you, friends. I'll see you next week.